Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. I'm Tony Walliser, one of the pastors here at Silverdale. And I get the privilege each week of sharing with you God's Word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Go ahead and take your Bibles and open up in the Old Testament to the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 2. We're going to be camping there and most of our passages are going to be in Ruth chapter 2. You can also, um, you know, take out your smartphone, open those apps to Ruth 2 and do this as well. Take these Bible study outlines that we provide for you. We, we provide these so you can follow along and take notes. As God speaks to you, you can write down the things that God is speaking to your heart about. As you know, we're in this Christmas series called A Broken Tree. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Because whenever you study the Gospel of Matthew, before Matthew ever talks about the angel coming to Mary and the virgin birth and the wise men or any of that story, the first thing Matthew tells you is Jesus' genealogy. It's like God wants you to know, hey, this is Jesus' background. This is the family tree that he came from. Have any of you ever investigated your family tree, right? A few of you have, right? I mean, my family tree is a little different. My dad is from Switzerland, and my mom is from South Georgia. Now, that's quite a combination. That is, um, you know, cultures colliding. Believe me, they did collide quite a bit. But, you know, there was always this family lore that somewhere in my mom's, you know, family, like a great-grandmother, there was a full-blooded Cherokee woman there. And so I always just imagine myself as being, having a lot of Cherokee blood. I used to sing that Cher song. Cherokee people, <laughs> Cherokee pride. And then somebody did a DNA test and I got no Cherokee blood. I don't know what happened there, right? But then on my dad's side, I did discover this. Um, my dad's dad, my grandfather, um, during World War II was a Nazi. Yeah, how would you like to have that in your family background? I have long since renounced any ancestral curses given to me from him, okay? And so that's the fact is, is that every one of us, if we investigate, you may find some broken limbs in your family tree. Well, that's exactly what we find with Jesus. And what I love about this is that God specifically lists these for us so that we know that God uses broken people. Sure, you can study Jesus' family tree and you'll find heroes of the faith and you know, kings and warriors and incredible godly guys, but you know what you also see? You see some broken limbs. And so what Matthew does is Matthew specifically lists three women's names. These folks, this season of brokenness, and yet they find themselves in the family tree of Jesus Christ. The very first week, we saw Tamar. 
Tamar, masqueraded as a prostitute, seduces her father-in-law, Judah, so she could get pregnant. That was a messed up story. Last week, we saw Rahab, who's this pagan girl who is Rahab the harlot who lived in this city called Jericho. And today, we're going to be studying Ruth. Ruth is from Moab. She was a Moabite girl. She worshiped this false god. And yet, she meets the true living God. And from Ruth, we're going to learn how God takes outsiders and he invites them in. And so let's look at this passage again. Let's start first in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus. It says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. That was week one. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father father of um, um, Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, that was last week, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to study Ruth and Boaz, and there's an entire book of the Bible named after her. And really, to be honest, this could be a Hallmark Christmas show. I mean, it's this romantic, incredible show. In fact, I don't know about you, I have a little confession here. I've watched quite a few Hallmark Christmas shows, I have. And you know, I mean, they're, just, they're so sappy, they're just incredible love stories. And sometimes you watch them and go, that could never happen. And yet, that's the way the book of Ruth is. You go, that could never happen, and God made it happen. Why? Because God loves a good love story, okay? And so that's what we have here with the book of Ruth. And so I want you to notice some main characters in this book, and jot this on your outline. Let's first start with Ruth. Who is Ruth? Ruth is the outsider. The most significant thing that you could say about Ruth is she is from Moabah, Moab. She was a Moabitess, okay? That's a pagan girl. Over and over again, every time Ruth is mentioned in this book, she is called the Moabite girl, all right? You go, what's the big deal about that? Well, this is the evil people. Moabite people were evil people. They were enemies of the people of God. And so you go, well, how in the world did a Moabite girl get in the family lineage of the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah? Well, let me set this up for you. The book of Ruth was written during the time of the judges. That's about a thousand years before the birth of Jesus Christ. This was a season of time in the nation of Israel that they were rebelling against God. The way it was described is everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. They weren't following God. Everybody's just doing whatever they want to do. And there happened to be a Jewish man who lived in Bethlehem. His name was Elimelech. And his name means, my God is king. And he marries this girl named Naomi, which means sweetheart. And then they have two sons that have sort of this cool Star Trek Klingon kind of names. Mahon and Chilion, right? Now, you don't want to name your kids Mahon and Chilion because that means sick and dying, okay? So you don't want to name your kids after them. And then Elimelech makes a fateful decision. He determines, I'm going to leave the promised land and I'm going to go to Moab, the pagan land. And he takes his family that way. Now you go, why is that a big deal? Because the Moabites worship a false god. This god called Chemosh. Chemosh is a vengeful god. And the Moabites would often sacrifice their children to this Moabite god. Not a good place, not a good land, okay? Evil, wicked people. 
And so here he brings his family there and then his boys grow up there and he, they meet and marry these Moabite girls. One was named Ruth and the other one's named Orpah. And then tragedy of all tragedies strike. Elimelech and his two boys suddenly die. And so there you have Naomi, this Jewish widow. She's got two daughter-in-laws that are now widows and they're desperate. They don't know what to do. And so Naomi says, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go back to the promised land. I'm gonna go move back to my family in Bethlehem. And so she treks back to Bethlehem and whenever she's on the way, she realizes something. I've got nothing to offer these girls. And so she turns to her daughter-in-laws and says, girls, I've got nothing in Bethlehem for you, okay? Why don't you just go back to your parents' house, find other good men, get married, and God bless you. And Orpah did that. But Ruth said, no. Ruth was in a fork in the road of her life, and she says, I'm not going back to that pagan god. I'm not going to worship Chemosh. I'm going to stick with you. And basically, she makes this incredible statement of faith and commitment. You've probably heard this verse before. It's found in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Look at what God's word says. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. Here it is. You've heard this before. For wherever you go, I'll go. And wherever you live, I'll live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She makes this incredible decision. I'm not going back to my parents. I'm going to go to Bethlehem with you. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Now, is this going to be an easy decision? No. This is going to be a bold move for this girl. Why? Because I've already told you. The Jews and the Moabites hate each other. She's this foreign girl. She's this Moabite girl. She's not going to be welcome there. She's not going to be loved there. Let me see if I can put it in today's terms maybe a little bit. It'd be like this. It'd be like a young African-American girl in the 50s growing up in Birmingham. And then hearing, she's a Christian, and she hears that there's a good church in the white neighborhood. I think I'm going to go visit that church. Back in the 50s with Jim Crow era, you think she'd be welcomed? Of course not. Well, that's the idea here, okay? So this girl, Moabites are hated by the Jews, and yet she's determined, I'm going to go. And so she makes the journey home with Naomi, her mother-in-law. Now, they've got no food. How are they going to make it? And so Ruth says, hey, I need to get a job. And so that's what she asks. Look at it in verse 2. Ruth, the Moabitess, and again, that's how she's always described, asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. I mean, she's got no food. They're flat broke. They got no money in their pocket. They got no food on the shelves. And she's like, you know what? Can I have permission to go and find some work so that we won't starve to death? And she makes a statement of faith. She says, with someone whom I can find favor. In your outline, verse two, circle the word favor there. In Hebrew, it's the word for grace. She's basically saying, you know what? I've got nothing here in Israel, but my faith in God. And I believe that if I do the right thing and I make the right first step, you know what? God's going to bless me and I'm going to find some favor with God. And you know what? We'll get some, some grain for us to survive on. Now, let me explain to you what gleaning was. 
In that day, you would have harvesters that would come through. And then gleaning means that you come behind the harvesters and you pick up any of the grain that has fallen to the ground or you pick any grain that was left on the stocks, okay? That's what gleaning is. In the Old Testament, it was the Hebrew form of, that was their welfare system. Okay? So if you're going to be gleaning, that means that's sort of social services, that's your food bank, that's the homeless shelter. That's what it was. See, in the Old Testament, this is what God said. God says, okay, you're going to have land and you're going to own it, but you need to know something. Ultimately, it belongs to me. And so whenever you grow a crop and you harvest it, you need to leave some of the harvest behind. For who? For the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the foreigner that comes through, for people that are on the down and out and you know what, they don't have a chance, they can go into the field and they can glean behind the harvesters so that they can have stuff. So this wasn't a handout, but it was a hand up. That was the Hebrew welfare system. And so that's where Ruth is at. She, she's on her last you know, leg here. She's in a desperate kind of situation. I guess today you'd say, all right, Today's equivalent would be a girl who moves to Chattanooga. She knows one person. What is she going to do? She's going to dumpster dive looking for cans where she can maybe gather a few bucks together so she can have a little bit of food. She's sleeping at the mission. She's eating at the soup kitchen. That is where Ruth is at. And so Ruth goes into that field and she works hard all day long, gleaning, picking up the scraps all day long after the harvesters have come by. That's Ruth. Okay. Now, let's look at the second person in this story. His name is Boaz. Jot that down. Boaz. I call him the nobleman. Because look at how he's described in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. What's the two descriptions of Boaz? He's prominent and he's noble. Prominent means he's a man of influence. He's a man of power. He's probably got some wealth. He's noble, noble in character. This guy, he's a godly dude. He's a good guy, right? Gentlemen, Boaz is somebody to imitate. Boaz is this godly guy that you go, this is a guy's character that I can follow. And so Boaz, he's a businessman. And so what does he do? He comes to his business and he's going to check out the harvesters and check on what's going on. That's what we find in Ruth chapter two, verse four. Look what it says. Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. He said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. And they replied, and the Lord bless you. Now, what does that mean? He's a good godly guy. I mean, think about it. Can you imagine going to work one day and your boss going, the Lord bless you guys. Now you may go, uh, that's not my boss. He uses the Lord's name, but not in blessing people, right? My boss is a devil. He's got a tail, right? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, and yet that's what's going on here. I mean, he, he's like, he's like, hey, the Lord bless y'all. And they go, the Lord bless you too, Boaz. I mean, can you imagine you go to work this next week and you're sitting in your cubicle and you're busy working and Mr. CEO walks in and says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with every one of you. And you all stand up from your cubicles like moles out of holes and says, the Lord bless you too, Mr. CEO. You go, that's not where I work. Well, that's where Boaz works. Why? Because he's a godly guy. He's a man who blesses his employees and they love and respect him as well. He takes his faith to work. That's who Boaz is. He's a good guy. 
And so Boaz is there checking on the harvest, and then he turns to his foreman, and he says, hey, who's that girl over there? Look at it in verse 5. Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is that? We'll call this guy um, the foreman, you know, Johnny College. He's probably got a clipboard. He's taking notes. And he says, hey, how's things going? And then, then Boaz says, hey, I, I hired everybody else. I know everybody by name, but I don't know that girl. Who's that girl right there? And Johnny College, the foreman of the harvester, says this, verse 6. The servant answered, she's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. I mean, you heard about this girl. This is the girl that came from the rough background and rough family of Moab. Her husband died and she was destitute. And instead of going back to her family, she decided to go with Naomi and take care of her. And you know what? She's incredibly polite. I mean, she could have just come in and started gleaning, but she asked for permission. Look at it, verse 7. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? And not only that, this girl's a hardworking girl. She came and has been on her feet since early morning. You see what he's saying? This is a hardworking girl. This is a polite girl. This is a girl that, you know what? She has outstanding character. She's a Proverbs 31 woman. She's a girl that has an incredible work ethic, and yet she's not doing it just for herself. She's doing it for others. Now, so that's sort of the introduction that they have. And so what we find next in the scriptures is the very first conversation between Boaz and Ruth. But this is what I want you to understand. Before Boaz comes and approaches Ruth, he's got two things already taken care of. What are they? his relationship with the Lord, and he's got a job. (laughs) Single guys, before you go to pick up girls, make sure you got two things right, Jesus and a job, okay? Single Silverdale ladies, Jesus and job. They come say, hey, sweetheart, how you doing? Well, let me ask you two things, Jesus, job. You ain't got that right? Well, you got some stuff you got to get fixed out first. Then you can come talk to me, okay? Make sense? That's, that's, that's who he is. And so he's going to come talk to Ruth. And from this conversation, we learn how a man should treat a woman. And I've put that on your outline. How is a man supposed to treat a woman? It's called chivalry. It's something that you don't see very often in our culture today. In fact, a lot of women will say, I don't want to be treated differently. I want to be treated like a man. Ladies, you know you don't want to be treated like a man. We give each other wedgies and play burp games, right? You don't want to be treated like a man. You want to be treated like a daughter of the King Jesus Christ who's made in the image of God. And that is exactly how Boaz treats Ruth. She's a Moabite girl, right? And yet he treats her with incredible respect. He does two things. Number one, jot this on your outline. First of all, he provides for her. He provides for her. So look at what he says, verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, and I just imagine he speaks in sort of a Barry White kind of voice. (laughs) He says to Ruth, "Uh, listen, my daughter, Don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one. You don't need to go to Hank's field. You don't need to go to Harry's field. You stay in Bo's field. Bo knows gleaning. I got a good field. You need to go anyplace else. What's he doing? He's providing a place for her. He's providing financially a place where she can work and make a living, right? 
And then not only that, he provides community. He says, but stay here close to my female servants, see which field they are harvesting and follow them. What's he doing? He's providing community for her. This girl doesn't know anybody. She doesn't have any friends, right? And so he says, hey, these are good girls. These are godly girls. Hang out with them. they'll, They'll be your friends. That's what he's doing. What's he doing? He's providing for her. But then he does a second thing for her. Jot this on your outline. Secondly, he protects her. He protects her. Now, let me be clear. Abusive men who hurt and use women are not godly men. Tracking with me? Let me say that again. Abusive men who hurt and use women are not godly men. What we find in this passage is that Boaz actually writes the first workplace sexual harassment policy. Did you know the Bible wrote it first? It's found right here in Ruth chapter 2, verse 9. Look at what he says to Ruth. He says, haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? Okay, not to sexually harass you? You can just imagine that conversation. You know, Boaz brings in all of his young guys and says, uh, hey, um, you see that Moabite girl over there? Oh, yeah, yeah, we see her. She's fine. Yeah, I know she's fine, but I don't want you to touch her. Well, what do you mean, don't touch her? And then Boaz says, I got a big field. They won't find your body. Are you tracking with me? (laughs) Yes, sir, we're tracking with you. Okay, just make sure it's clear. What is he doing? He's providing for her. He's protecting her. He's defending her. He's showing her dignity and respect. That's Boaz. And so here's this foreign girl who's now shown all this incredible respect. She's probably never been treated this way in her life by a man. And so look at how she responds. Verse 10, she fell face down, bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor? There's the word for grace with you so that you notice me, although I'm a foreigner. Now that's a good question. Boaz, why are you being so nice with me? Ladies, whenever a guy is taking the initiative and he's being nice to you, it's completely okay to ask him, hey, what you doing? Why? What's your motive? What's your game plan here? Are you just looking for a good time or are you living a good legacy? Boaz, he was living out a good legacy. So she says, I don't understand why you're being nice to me. Now, I want you to think about this moment. Here is Ruth in the field. Now, think about it. Does she look her best? I mean, is she all dolled up? No, she's got no makeup on. Her hair is probably in a ponytail. She's got her one peasant dress and she's covered with dirt. She's been working in the field all day. You know, I mean, basically she's, you know, funkified and basically, you know, this is not her most finest hottie moment here. And yet somehow she's attractive to Boaz. And so she's like, Why are you being nice to me? Good question. And Boaz gives her two reasons. First of all, because you're so committed to your family. Look at it in verse 11. Boaz answered her, everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. I mean, your reputation, Ruth, has preceded you. Everybody knows what a great work ethic you got and how you've sacrificed so much of your life to care for this woman. I mean, you're loyal. And so that I just respect you for that. Second reason why he respects her is because of her commitment to the Lord. I mean, 
Ruth's statement is now being famous. I mean, we, we've heard it today. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Well, Ruth is the one who said that. And he's like, I mean, your, your statement of faith has now become legendary. It's amazing. You turned from the pagan God of Shemosh of Moab, and you've come to believe in the true God, Yahweh God of Israel. And so he then pronounces a blessing over her. Look at it in verse 12. May the Lord, that's Yahweh, reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel. Look at this. Under whose wings you have come for refuge. I love that imagery. The imagery is you got a mother hen. And she's got her little chicks. And she's protecting them and hiding them and covering them. And, and they're, they're protected from the rain and any harm. Why? Because that mother hen is protecting. And that's the image here. Boaz is saying, you've come under the protective care of Almighty God. And you know what? That kind of faith, even though you're a Moabite girl, that kind of faith inspires me. And so here's Boaz. What does Boaz believe in? Boaz believes in a God who gives new beginnings. That's good news for every one of you here. Our God is a God who gives you new beginnings. You may go, how did Boaz know that? Because Boaz saw that with his mom. Do you remember who Boaz's mom is? We studied about her last week. She is Rahab the harlot. You go, what? Yeah, Rahab the harlot, the Canaanite girl, the girl that was in, you know, Jericho, that pagan girl who lived a part of her lifestyle as a prostitute, and then she came to faith. That is Boaz's mom. In the very same way that she found love and grace with his dad is the very same way that Boaz is now treating Ruth. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? And so you have the story of Ruth. You got the story of Boaz. But now I want you to see the third character in this story. And it's this, jot this down. It's God. God is the Redeemer. You see, in this entire book, you have the invisible hand of a sovereign God orchestrating things behind the scenes. We can see it first found in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. I love this verse. It says, Ruth gleaned in the field behind the harvesters. Look at this. By chance, it happened to be the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the family of Elimelech. I mean, basically, the writer of the book of Ruth is saying, lo and behold, karma kicked in, lucky for her, chance, good fortune. It's a tongue-in-cheek way of saying, yeah, right. I mean, did this all just happen by chance? No. God is sovereignly working things out behind the scenes. Now, what I love is that in this story, you have the free will of humanity and the sovereignty of God working perfectly together. You see, here's Ruth. Ruth says, okay, I'm going to go glean in a field. And, um, you know, she didn't hear an angel talk to her. She didn't see any burning bush. She just randomly chose this field. And it just so happened to be the field of the most eligible bachelor, rich, godly man in all of Bethlehem. Woo, good luck for her, right? No, it wasn't luck. It was the sovereignty of God. That's how it happens. Whether you realize it or not, whether you see it or not, the invisible sovereign hand of God is working behind the scenes. That's what's going on here. And so she comes home with all this grain, and look at what her mother-in-law, 
Naomi says to her, verse 19, her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? And then she obviously saw all the grain she came in with. And she goes, may the Lord bless the man who noticed you, girl, right? And so look at what she says. Ruth responds, the the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Now, let me explain this to you. In the Old Testament, they had this um, law called the kinsman redeemer. That whenever you had a man who died and you had a young widow, then what you could do is you could have another close family member who was single could marry her. And that way the family name would continue and this widow, she wouldn't be destitute and have to go into prostitution just to, you know, take care of herself. Well, it just so happened by chance that she was in the field of one of her family redeemers, right? I mean, Ruth didn't know those laws. And so you know what Naomi is saying? She's saying, girl, you not only chose a good field to get a harvest from, you may have just gotten yourself a husband, right? And so that's what's happening here. You see, you have the free will of man and the sovereignty of God. God really does cause all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That includes you. And so if you know the rest of the book of Ruth, you know what happens next. Ruth, one night, comes to Boaz and says, Boaz, will you marry me? I know that seems opposite, but that's exactly what she said. Boaz, will you be my family redeemer? And Boaz says, yes, I will. And then Boaz goes to the other family members and negotiates with them and he pays the the dowry price of the bride and then he marries her. And the way the book of Ruth ends is with this incredible marriage celebration and then God blesses them with a child. Look at how the book ends in Ruth chapter four, verse 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord granted conception to her and she gave birth to a son, verse 17, and they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of King David. Yes, you got that right. Ruth is the great grandmother of King David and she is in the kingly line of Jesus Christ himself. You see, the book of Ruth is really a book of restoration, a book of new beginnings. It starts out with a funeral and it ends with a wedding. It starts out with all this bad news, but then they have incredible celebration news of a child. The book of Ruth illustrates for us how God takes broken people and restores them and makes them new. You see, in the Bible, Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ. When you study Jesus, you study Boaz, you can see the family resemblance. I mean, just like Boaz was Ruth's family redeemer, Jesus is our family redeemer. And just like Boaz came to his land, well, guess what? Jesus came to his land. That's why we celebrate Christmas. God stepped out of heaven as Emmanuel, God with us. And just like Boaz took notice of Ruth, well, Jesus Christ takes notice of you. And just like Boaz initiated a relationship with Ruth, well, Jesus initiates a relationship with you. And just like Jesus provides and protects and cares for his people, well, you know, so did Boaz. And so just like Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ, well, we 
our picture, we see the picture of us and our relationship with God through Ruth. See, every one of us, we were all foreigners. Every one of us, we were all broken. Every one of us, we've all had this bad time. We were lost. We were slaves to sin. We were guilty. And yet, what does Jesus Christ do? He redeems us. Now, if you're here today and you've never met Jesus Christ, your kinsman redeemer, I got good news for you. He's ready to redeem you. I mean, Jesus Christ has paid the price on the cross for all of your sins so that he can redeem you and forgive you and give you a new life for your old broken one. That's what Jesus Christ has done. But you know what you got to do? You got to do exactly what Ruth did. What did Ruth do? Ruth asked Boaz to redeem her. It's the same way. Jesus has provided the way, but now the next move is in your court. Now it's up to you. You have to invite him to become your redeemer. And you know what? Today, you can do that. Or maybe you're already a follower of Jesus Christ and in just one way or another, you've drifted away. Or maybe you're in a season of brokenness right now. I'm telling you, Christ knows you. He sees you. He loves you. I mean, Ruth and Boaz is just a small little snippet of the love story that Jesus Christ has for you. But you've got to turn to him. You can't do life on your own. You've got to turn to Jesus Christ. That's what we learn from the book of Ruth. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part, so please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.